2: If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san sandiego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds.
3: Happy Pride from Tomboy X. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer founded, queer run, and creating size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit tomboyx.com to shop.
4: You know you've got a comeback in you when you take the next step.
0: Hello, and welcome to Savor, production of iHeartRadio and Stuff Media. I'm Annie Reese, And I'm Lauren Vogelbaum, and today we're talking about collard greens.
1: Uh-huh. Another <laughs> part of the traditional Southern New Year's Day meal, mm-hmm. which I thought was going to be kind of boring, kind of like turnip greens, which we did recently, but
0: no. No. Very different, actually. Different. Yeah, an entirely different cultural thing, and also very different from kale, even though they're very closely related. I know.
1: <sighs> <laughs> Constantly surprised in this world. So, in this meal, collard greens represent folding green money. Uh-huh. And you're meant to eat them to bring you all that money in the coming new year.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. You eat them on New Year's Day with your black eyed peas, probably some kind of pork product yes. mixed in there, cornbread.
1: Yes. This gold. year I made soup. Oh, so yeah? I made a black-eyed pea, collard green, and sausage soup, and it's delicious. Very spicy.
0: Ooh. <laughs> Very oh, that spicy. sounds great.
1: It is. It is. And as I've said before, I love collard greens. Um, and also in my family, the men prefer collard greens to turnip greens. Less bitter, according to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we ate collard greens and turnips all the time when I was growing up, usually boiled with ham hock, salt, pepper,
0: and a teeny bit of sugar and hot sauce. Ooh, yeah, the hot sauce.
1: Yes, my dad used to eat, he'd have a cup, and he'd have in this cup buttermilk, collard greens, cornbread, and hot pepper sauce. And I thought it was the, the grossest thing when I was a
0: kid. And then I tried it. I was like, okay,
1: this is weird, but I get it.
0: Huh. Yeah. I, okay, sure. Yeah, it's like a weird bowl of savory cereal. <laughs>
1: yeah, pretty much.
0: Uh-huh. Yeah, like With you collards dip, in it.
1: You dip... The cornbread at first, but then eventually it kind of just... Crumbles. And yeah. Then, okay. Yeah, so it's an evolving sure. breakfast soup. <laughs> it's not like ambrosia. I guess my dad was big on breakfast soups now that I think about it. Um, And I actually got out, I just got off of a collard green cake. I was eating them all the time Yeah. a bit. And it, it, isn't this like their season? I'm getting out of the my collard green time right as they come into their prime time.
0: Well, I mean, you know, it's, it's the entire winter Season. So, you know, late fall is also collard green time. I guess, I guess you're right, Lauren. (laughs) I guess
1: you're right. Here
0: in the South, all the time is collard green time. (laughs) True
1: what are you What are your thoughts on collard greens?
0: Uh, I don't think that I had greens of any kind, let alone collards, cooked in like the southern way until I had been in Atlanta for a few years. So really? this is like relatively recent for me. Um yeah, I, I I really like them though now. Um and I really like them with a good kick of vinegar in the yes. cooking liquid because, yeah, cause I want them to be a little bit just a little bit puckery. Yes., uh, um and i'd had I'd had green beans actually cooked similarly my uh, my grandmother on my mother's side would make green beans cooked with uh, with some kind of ham hock situation and no hot sauce definitely <laughs> yeah definitely no from hot sauce I the so it wasn't her thing Oh that that was the other grandmother but no <laughs> both neither us. neither side of my family <laughs> Was into spicy food. I am some kind of aberration. hmm um, oh, That's nice. But, yeah, yeah. I, but, again, yes, obviously the green beans would be a different kind of texture situation than a collard, so. Yes.
1: I do. I was thinking the other day that last year I made that those egg rolls for our D&D oh, session. Right? Oh, those were so
0: good. Collard greens. Oh
1: Yeah, they were so good. I should remake
0: those. Yeah, you should. They were delicious. You should remake them for d- our D&D game so that I can eat them. Uh Maybe I will. Maybe I will. But in the meantime, let's
1: get to our question. Collard greens. What are they?
0: Well, uh, collard greens are a type of leafy green in the wide, wide species Brassica oleracea. That includes everything from cabbage and Brussels to broccoli and kohlrabi. And specifically, collards are uh, Brassica oleracea variety acephala, which is itself a less wide group of cultivars of leafy greens that also includes kale. Uh, so um, acephala means without a head, uh, which indicates not some creepy ghost story in kale and collards past, but rather that the leaves of these cultivars don't form a, a central bunch or head, the way that, say, cabbages form heads.
1: Without a head. I love it. I know. The name at collards is a corruption of the Anglo Saxon coal warts, frequently shortened to coals meaning cabbage plants.
0: Yeah, yeah. All the same all the same kind of family there. Mm-hmm. Uh and collards do in fact look sort of like someone decapitated a cabbage plant. Um <laughs> where cabbages have these uh these thick basal leaves that the head grows up from the center of. Collards just don't have that head uh, they, they only have those thick broad smooth lower leaves and those leaves can get big up to like two feet long by a foot and a half wide that's about 0.6 meters by a half a meter and yeah the, the leaves are more fleshy than kale and less roughly like a like a thick spinach a thick spinach yeah yeah yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. um Collards and all those other plants in the Brassica genus are part of the Brassicaceae family, or the mustard family, which tend to produce bitter and or pungent compounds to discourage herbivores and other pests from destroying their foliage. Um, collards are pretty mild, though. I would say probably the mildest of the bunch.
1: Yeah, I think so. Yeah.
0: Uh, oh, and oh, yeah, bunch, pun intended, after the hey. fact. Oh. Mm. <laughs> They taste vegetal and earthy and a little bitter and maybe a little bit sweet in there, too. Um, for me, they're more of a texture than a taste component in most dishes, like a vehicle for smoky ham hock and bright vinegar and hot pepper sauce. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You can eat them raw. When they're raw, they're, they're yeah, yeah, like a, like a thicker spinach with a big crunchy stems to support those broad leaves. And when cooked, they get a, a soft and sort of slippy and tender Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, They're super easy to grow. You can start harvesting the the largest outer leaves about a month after planting, like from seed to you have collard leaves in about a month. Yeah. And they will just keep going as long as they've got sunlight and water. They'll tolerate temperatures upward of 80 degrees Fahrenheit. That's about 27 Celsius and all the way down to 20 Fahrenheit, which is about negative 7 Celsius. So they are... Much better suited to a wide range of climates than most other stuff in the brassica family, um, yeah. or genus, I should say. Uh, but yeah, this is why that that cold end of the range is why they're a good winter vegetable in temperate zones, and possibly explains why they're a traditional New Year's food in the American South. Uh, also, cold weather makes collards sweeter, as as the plants will convert. Stored starches into sugars when the weather gets cold. It's sort of like a like a natural antifreeze to uh, to keep everything in circulation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so if you want to sweeten up collards before you cook them, especially if you're cooking them from a home garden situation, just stick them in the fridge for a couple days beforehand. Let them let them do that process. Oh, cool. Mm-hmm.
1: My mom used to. I thought that was the coolest thing when I, I was a kid because she would before we'd eat them, she'd be like, "These are going to be really sweet because it's a cold winter." I was like, oh. <gasps> <Ooh. laughs> Cool. <laughs> and they're pretty good for you.
0: Oh gosh. Yeah, by themselves, they're great. Um, like a like a cup of collards has as much calcium as five-sixths of a cup of milk, as much vitamin A as half of a carrot, as much vitamin C as half of an orange, so much vitamin K. <laughs> um, yeah, good punches of fiber and protein in there. They will fill you up. And when combined with other sources of fat and protein, um, they will really help keep you going.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, Though uh, when you boil or simmer collards or uh, any vegetable, really, in water or broth or whatever, um, you're cooking out a bunch of their nutrients into the liquid. So don't let that good stuff go to waste. Uh, If you don't want to eat it, like, as part of the collards dish, if you don't want to, like, drink it or anything, you can save it to add to soups or sauces or, yeah, just sop it up with cornbread. Yeah, my dad did that too. Oh, yeah.
1: Yes. And, and
0: collards are eaten all over the world. Oh, yeah. Uh, East Africa has a dish a lot like southern collards, uh, often incorporating uh, chopped or ground meat, tomatoes, garlic, and or onion spices, a little bit of lemon juice, cooking the whole pot down with water or broth. Um, it's sometimes called uh, sukuma wiki, which apparently translates to uh, "to push or stretch the week. Ah. Yeah. There's the Portuguese caldo verde, a green soup frequently made with
1: collard, sautéed in Brazil, often with garlic, in the Caribbean. In the South, yeah, they are frequently boiled down with ham hock over a long period of time. A large quantity of greens is sometimes called a meso-greens. Oh,
0: I love that. Yeah. Yes. You? <laughs> uh, yeah, you can, um, you can serve the cooking liquid and greens together or separate them and serve the liquid, sometimes called pot liquor, uh, in a soup or, or as a separate soup. And this is also a traditional uh, African thing.
1: Yes. I believe I heard, I know someone who used to drink this, and she would say, clean me out. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That stuck with me as a kid as well because I wasn't quite sure what it means, but now I know. Now you know, and you're like, well.
0: (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Good advice. Thanks.
1: Yes, yes. Um, And, yes, they are often the the greens during this traditional Southern New Year's meal representing all that money, money, money coming Mm -hmm. your way. Mm -hmm.
0: And they are a cultural thing in the South, if you've never lived here, you probably don't yeah. have a conception of exactly how much, like, I don't know, like, 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 like love and and pride people have for this humble dish.
1: Absolutely. For instance, Charlotte, North Carolina has a collard green museum. The Latiba, Life and Times in Black American History Collard Museum. Savannah and Atlanta have collard green festivals, as does Aiden, North Carolina, featuring... A collard green eating contest. I've
0: not heard of this, and I'm already horrified.
1: It lasts for 30 minutes.
0: Oh, no. What?
1: Yes. With a series of one-pound servings of collards delivered by the Collard Collard Queens, Queens. (laughs) contestants have to not puke for five (laughs) minutes after the contest is over to not be disqualified. Apparently, a lot of people do, and the record is eight and a quarter pounds of collards. Oh, my gosh. My God.
0: I wonder what's the highest weight of, like, things that people consume in competitive eating contests. Like, eight and a half pounds sounds like a lot. It is.
1: <laughs> it is. I believe the previous record holder, his his record was, like, four pounds, and it had been standing for 20 years or something. So he came oh, wow. back to town the next year to be a judge and make sure there's no cheating because he didn't believe— that his record had been toppled and by that much. And sure enough, the guy the next year who won, he didn't even get close. Oh, wow. So, hmm, Mm. I'm not accusing anybody of cheating. I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) And in 2011, South Carolina's legislature voted collards the official state vegetable. In some parts of the South, it's common for folks to have a collard patch and for collard pots to be given as a wedding gift.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Oh, Oh, I would love a collard pot.
1: Right. And they've featured in a lot of songs, collard greens have, in the late 1940s, Georgia fiddler Warren Smith composed Rabbit Under a Collard Leaf that went, it's collard greens, it's collard greens. First thing you do, you better put them in a pot. Next thing you do, you better eat them while it's hot. It's collard greens. Oh. Nice and simple. Apparently, it was a big elementary school, like kids sing along song. Yeah. Huh. They featured in poems. There was a collard poetry contest in 1984, the brainchild of two North Carolina English professors. They got 500 submissions from all over the country and even some from Europe. They published 127 of the poems in a book called Leaves of Green. And in 2010, R&B singer Fantasia Barrino released the song Collard Greens and Cornbread on her Grammy-nominated album Back to Me. One of the main lines went, Even got the nerve to say you're better than my mama's collard greens and cornbread.
0: Oh yeah.
1: Mm. There's plays, books, A Stroke of Good Fortune by Flannery O'Connor in 1949, for example. Controversies, which we'll talk about a little bit. You name it. Cod greens. spin in the mix. Beloved by Elvis, who ate them with cornbread and buttermilk.
0: Oh, yeah. Elvis and your dad.
1: See? <laughs> <laughs> My dad would love to be compared to Elvis. <laughs> and then, according to John T. Edge, of the Southern Foodways Alliance in the New Encyclopedia of Southern Culture, Volume 7, collards, quote, probably more than any other food delineate the boundaries of the Mason-Dixon line. And me and super producer Dylan saw him speak in Birmingham.
0: Oh, that trip that I missed. A year back?
1: Yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah, about a year ago.
1: Yeah, and there was a cocktail at this event that came with a temporary
0: tattoo of this guy's face.
1: And I still have it, (laughs) and I'm waiting for the opportune moment.
0: Oh. What, are you going to put it right on your face so that you can have a face on your face? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> You're like, well, how else would I do it? Uh,
1: that's, I mean, I didn't <laughs> even consider doing anything else.
0: <laughs> ah, but when? But when? when? <laughs> Clearly the next Southern Foodways Alliance.
1: Yes. You're right. <laughs> next time I go to one of their events. Yeah. All right. That's solved. <laughs> we need to talk about some history.
0: We do, but first we need to take a quick break for a word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not
1: all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies.
2: could just
4: be a me. Amy Winehouse, Back to Black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R, under 17, not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th.
1: And we're back. Thank you, sponsor.
0: Yes, thank you.
4: And
1: we're back with colored history going oh. all the way back to prehistoric times. Ah. Yeah. <laughs> they probably originated in the Mediterranean, although they descended from ancient wild Asian cabbages that grew before recorded history. Oh,
0: yeah. Uh, collards and kale were um, probably among the first plants cultivated, period. Uh, but they were probably the first uh, brassicas specifically that humans cultivated. And probably because they are so easy to grow, you don't have to mess. It's just leaves. You just pick them. <laughs> it's you know? just leaves. Yeah, you don't have to wait for them to like grow into a specific shape. You don't have to tend to them to do that. They mm-hmm. just do it. Yeah, Yeah. that is very nice. It is. Oh, it's so
1: polite. (laughs) Right. (laughs) As early as 2,000 years ago, ancient Greeks and Romans grew collards in their gardens along with kale, and they did not
0: differentiate between the two, which makes the research fun. It's just they were trying to mess with us. They knew. They knew we were coming.
1: These two podcasters (laughs) in the future will make life difficult for them specifically. (laughs) Well, good job. Good show.
0: We see you. (laughs) Apicus. That's right.
1: That's right. The Roman Empire spread collards throughout Europe. They were in Britain by 4th century BC. And I believe we did talk about this in our kale episode because, again, they did not differentiate. Mm -hmm. So hard to say. Collards eventually reached Africa, where the climate allowed for year-round availability of some type of green. By the time of slavery, 30 to 60 greens were eaten in West and Central Africa. They were frequently made into a sauce and served with rice. Collards were grown in the first slave forts established by the Portuguese. Even though cabbage and turnips had migrated south from Europe by then, they weren't as hardy as kale and collards. Mm -hmm. Collard seeds spread throughout the continent. And just like the black-eyed pea— Collards arrived to the Americas as part of the slave trade in the early 1600s. Collard greens were one of a handful of crops, and slave people were allowed to grow for themselves. Also, just like the black IP, pea, there are stories that immigrants from Europe bought them with them as well. But most of them, even people at the time, I don't know, it was, there was an odd vibe of it. It was all anecdotal. It was kind of like a cute tale to tell or something. Huh. Like somebody bought the seeds from Europe and planted them in their garden. I'm sure it probably happened, but...
0: oh yeah. I mean, it's a food people probably ate it, but <laughs> but, yes. for, but for the but for for the most part, from yes, from most of the history, it's it's like yeah, no, these these came over with the slave trade,
1: right? From the book Collards: A Southern Tradition from Seeds to Table, written by John T. Morgan and Edward H. Davis, quote: Collards are aligned to the very core historical facts of the American South in the confluence of African and British folkways. Collard seed was deliberately transported from the gardens of ordinary British people. Uh On the other hand, Africans, who were not allowed to carry a thing when transported to this country, nonetheless brought an asset just as essential, their culinary knowledge, which included an understanding of and preference for dark leafy greens. That knowledge in the food tradition among blacks and whites alike no doubt saved many southerners from starvation— Southerners, black and white, have potentially sustained a very wise cultural trait in their preference for this food, in spite of considerable derision from outsiders and even some insiders.
0: Yeah, and uh, oof, that 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 pride that I was talking about earlier in this dish is kind of a recent comeuppance, or yeah. like, is that is that the right word? I'm <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, of, of of just going like, oh yeah, no, this food is really good, yeah, and it's really nourishing, and. You know, like I, I don't know, all, all of the all of the issues that we wrap up in both race and class, yes. um, in this country and all others, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, collards are kind of at the base of that because they are this very earthy kind of dish.
1: Yeah, and I, going back to my dad, um, my dad grew up very, very, very poor, and um, he was embarrassed and ashamed of a lot of the foods he ate. Oh no, and um.
0: Um, But I'm sure that they were delicious. They
1: were. And I couldn't figure it
0: out as a kid because I just
1: didn't
0: get it. And they were all
1: good. Like, I didn't, why are we ashamed of this thing Mm -hmm. that tastes really good? But he wouldn't, if I had friends over, he would not, like, want us to cook anything like that. Um, Which, yeah, it's kind of sad because it is such a wonderful,
0: delicious thing. Yeah. But, yeah, yeah, uh, historically important as well.
1: Absolutely. According to one historical account, when General Sherman came marching into the South during the Civil War, the Confederate governor of Georgia, Joseph Brown, deserted the capital, taking with him, quote, only his cow and a load of collards. Huh. You know, okay. In the novel Gone with the Wind, scarlet daydreams about the days and foods before the war, including, quote, collards swimming richly in pot liquor, iridescent with grease. Whew. Which is funny because, as we said in our turnip episode, those represent the poor and starving in that book. When she says her famous line, it's, God is my witness, I'll never go hungry again. But I think it probably has to do with the cooking also. A little bit of both. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Accounts from Confederate soldiers during the Civil War indicate that collards were sometimes in their rations. Mm -hmm. Post-emancipation, James Patterson Green out of North Carolina wrote, to the inhabitants of the country districts of the South, the collard is a very great blessing because when boiled in a pot with a piece of fat meat and balls of cornmeal dough, having the size and appearance of ordinary white turnips called dumplings, it makes palatable a diet which would otherwise be all but intolerable.
0: So much racism and classism involved in all of this. It really it's is. It's delicious. Just eat it. Gosh. Humans.
1: Get it together!
0: I've never cooked cornbread dumplings in a pot Mm. of greens, and I need to go do that immediately.
1: I haven't done it either, but I imagine it's delicious. Yeah. Mm. Collards were still largely associated with the poor at this time. A professor from Vanderbilt wrote in 1883 that poor Southerners and Black people knew no word better than collards. Huh. Yeah. Well. Uh huh. Okay. In, Jeez, I know. In 1934, Louisiana State University's agriculture experiment stations published a pamphlet that delved into the collard variety Louisiana Sweet in their attempts to make it more viable. So this is sort of like a ghost story in Collard Green's past. Oh, yeah? Like, people aren't even sure if it was real. Others claim, oh, it definitely was real, and I grew it. And um, <laughs> the, the, the Louisiana Sweet. Exactly. It's just yeah. this, this variety. Um, apparently— they did not succeed this this agricultural experiment station although it's possible that there are seed savers out there that kept it going
0: oh yeah okay mm-hmm. um it was around this time that some also kind of racist and classist research was going into like why are all of these southern farmers and and poor people so nutritionally well kept And then all of a sudden researchers were like, could it be the collards that they're eating? For they have them outside on their doorstep and they just eat them from their gardens. And so, yeah, it was a big mystery. (laughs) And I'm not sure why. But, I, you know, home ec and nutritional science were both fields that were developing at this point in time. And so I I guess people can be forgiven for having been ignorant.
1: Yes. I suppose so. Um, and and we did want to say there is a lot of racism involved in this history, and, and some of it we just did not want to repeat because um, there were jokes. There's just jokes. a lot
0: of – Yeah, it's one of those really frustrating things that, um, you know, uh, people who think that they're better than another group of people yeah. for whatever reason, um, you know, who are part of the institution that kept those people – from eating things other than right. collards, yeah. are like, oh, man, look at those people eating collards. Yeah. It's like, hmm. Yeah. Just a lot of nastiness.
1: Yeah, definitely. And it's that kind of in a weird way segues into this next thing I want to talk about.
0: Oh, gosh, right.
1: I had no idea. I actually know I did know this happened, but, but like in the very back of my mind. So, collard green controversy jumping all the way up to 2016. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Whole Foods caused a media firestorm in a whole conversation around appropriation after they tweeted, If you're not cooking with these greens, you need to be. How to cook collards. With a link to a recipe that showcased a picture of collards topped with peanuts. Okay. Okay. CNN reported Whole Foods gets in hot water with black Twitter. The author of this article, Kara Reedy, wrote, Whole Foods' Twitter feed was quickly flooded with lots of memes and plenty of side-eye. I was annoyed, too, because like other African Americans, I'm tired of people discovering things that have been part of black culture for hundreds of years. This was one of many, many takedowns on, I guess, not really the recipe, the tweet and the company's apparent cluelessness and lack of cultural sensitivity. Okay. Yes. But oh all right. It seems the recipe they featured was inspired by Sean Brock's sauteed collard greens with roasted peanuts, which was featured in Food and Wine and or the Savannah Peanut Collard Greens recipe in Joe Dabney's book, The Food, Folklore and Art of Low Country Cooking.
0: So legitimate sources yes. for of like for a good recipe.
1: Yes. And and there is a handful of other sources. And then a bunch of people looking into it. it. was enough where people were writing about this controversy other than just there's a controversy. <laughs> Connor Freidersdorf over at The Atlantic wrote a great piece about this whole thing. And it, it's surprisingly complex and nuanced. As someone who just researched cancel culture for another show, oh. this is a fascinating example of how it is not black and white. Um, so the the pairing of collard greens and peanuts is fairly common in central and southern Africa.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Somewhat <laughs> hilariously, <laughs> although I'm not, I'm sure not so for the Whole food social media manager. <laughs> Their recipe did not even include <laughs> peanuts. It was just a oh, picture that they gosh. used. Uh-huh. Yes, but anyway, a lot of the articles written about it were incorrect. The, these kind of media blowing it up out of proportion, um, and they were presented. Quite confidently as fact, and it, it mm-hmm. yeah, it was really a case of not representing a situation inaccurately, although I wouldn't go as far to say Whole Foods is necessarily innocent. It's just
0: complex, yeah, yeah, yeah we should all probably I, I mean especially if we are a major corporation, be careful of what we post on Twitter,
1: yeah. For sure, and especially
0: sure. especially where delicate manners of of these food ways that are, yeah, yeah so wrapped up in so many people's histories and in so much of this um weirdness and negativity that we've been talking about this whole episode.
1: Exactly because like you said, we've we've had this long history of sort of shaming people for eating foods that were really the one only of the few foods. things they could eat yeah. and now whole Foods, which, I mean, it's called Whole paycheck" for a reason. Yeah, um, it's, it's like, like hey, colors. this new thing we found. I get it. Like, I'm not saying they were in the right at all. It's just it's
0: it's it's more complicated than
1: absolutely. Yeah, and there's so many great articles out there to to read more about it if you would like to, because I do think it was it was worth a read.
0: Oh well, good. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, huh, and I guess that's what we have to say about collard greens.
1: It is. Who knew we were going to end on a Whole Foods media tweet (laughs) controversy? (laughs) You never, again, you just never know where it's going to go.
0: You don't. You don't. That's the best weird part about our jobs.
1: It is true. It is true. But we also like, the the other best weird part we like is listener mail, which we have some. We
0: do. But first, we've got one more quick break for a word from our sponsor.
2: could
4: just be a me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th.
1: And we're back. Thank you, sponsor.
0: Yes, thank you. And we're back with Listener, Listener Mail. Mail. Happy New Year! Oh, years. yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Peter wrote, Upon hearing your tale of your family experiences with the breakfast fruit soup version of Ambrosia... It brought to mind a fruit soup I encountered a couple of decades ago while in post-Soviet Hungary. It's called Hedij Medjlevish, meaning literally cold sour cherry soup, with its main components being, of course, sour cherries and their juice, along with water, sugar, cinnamon, sometimes almond extract, and usually a splash of a fairly strong red wine, (laughs) like a Cabernet or maybe Merlot. It's then finished with either cream, whipped cream, or sour cream, but definitely not mayonnaise. (laughs) I can tell you, sipping an icy bowl of this after an afternoon of clearing high weeds for a humanitarian project in the humid Hungarian summer countryside was the height of bliss. Ah. There are a number of variations on it, with, of course, many recipes online, but I don't think anywhere near as many as there are with ambrosia. I highly recommend it. That Sounds amazing.
0: Oh, yeah. In trying to figure out this pronunciation, uh, which I, I'm still not sure if we have, I apologize to give it a solid try. We did, we did. Um, uh, but yeah, I was like, oh my gosh, that looks good. <laughs> yes. I want to eat that right now. It sounds amazing. Oh, uh. Yeah, uh, Katie wrote, I just want to give you some loves and some thanks. I recently got a new job at a small bean-to-bar chocolate maker in town. I was nervous, so I listened to your podcast about chocolate right before the interview, and I think it really helped me out. I could talk a little more about the process of chocolate making, but I still have a lot to learn. The shop is one of about 40 bean-to-bar makers in the U.S. and has the largest selection of single-origin bars, i.e. bars made from beans from just one place. All the beans are ethically sourced. It's been a fantastic learning experience. Chocolate is so complex, and even if the chocolate comes from the same country, depending on where it grew, it will taste wildly different from each other. I also have to say as a D&D player for five years and a D&D podcaster, I love hearing you talk about D&D. You two sound like you have a great group to play with and loads of good food and fun. We do. We do. Oh, <laughs> it's true. And also, congrats on your job. Yeah. Oh, gosh, absolutely. Congratulations. That's so awesome. Ah. Oh.
1: Uh, our listeners do the coolest things. Y'all
0: do. Oh, we, we really love hearing about it. We do. And if you would like to,
1: to tell us what you're up to, you can. Thanks to those two listeners who already did. Our email is hello at saverpod.com.
0: We're also on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and that other one, Instagram. Yes, uh, where we are at saverpod on all three. We do hope to hear from you. Savor is a production of iHeartRadio and Stuff Media. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Thanks, as always, to our super producers, Dylan Fagan and Andrew Howard. Thanks to you for listening, and we hope that lots more good things are coming your way. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid
1: erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com.
2: Ready? Okay. Give me a beach. Beach! Give me great food. Tacos! Give me adventure. Hiking! Give me a date night. Sunset cruise! Give me some smiles. Cheese. Give me more beaches. Beaches! What's that spell? San Diego! If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san sandiego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds.
3: Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride and the queer community all year